Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. It's great to see you guys here with us this morning. My name is Josh Bertram, one of the pastors here, so thanks for being here with us this morning. By show of hands, how many of you guys like being different? Can I see? You're like, you know, different than the people around you. All right, good job, you different people. Okay, now, um, how many of you guys like being called different? Maybe a little less. Um, How many of you guys get confused, by show of hands, if different is a compliment or an insult when someone says it, right? It's kind of one of those neutral terms, you know, I was talking to my wife about it. She's like, yeah, I hate when people are like, oh, your hair, it's different. She's like, "Uh, okay, what does that mean, you know? More specifics, please. I hated being different when I was a kid. One of the reasons I hated being different is because I was a pastor's kid, and no one else was a pastor's kid, unless I went to a pastor's kid retreat. Then everyone was a pastor's kid, Um, but in my normal life, nobody else had a pastor for a dad, or a dad for a pastor. Yeah, both of those things, and I did, and I, I remember just getting so embarrassed, like, oh, I don't want to be different. I hated being different. Then, like, I grew a little bit older, and I wanted to be different, you know, but not too different because you don't want, like, nobody to like you. You just want to be different enough that it's cool, you know. So I remember in middle school, man, I wish I could go back to that middle school Josh and, like, body slam him and tell him to dress differently. But I can't. I had, like, clown shoes, and I, not literally clown shoes. They were just too big for me. And then, like, I would wear these socks, and I'd bag, you know, my shorts would be down to here, like, you know, sagging them, and, like, I just look crazy, and I wanted to be different. And then when I was 15, I got in my, like, I really got to be different face. And so I dyed my hair blonde. Yes, it was blonde to be like Eminem, you know? And everyone was different. If you know that reference, and maybe you did it yourself, you know? And I was in that kind of, I'm an angry, white, suburban kid, and I'm going to be mad about it and be like, Mom, you make me do things and get really mad, you know? And so I had that different, but I didn't want to be too different, right? Because then I would just, no one would like me. I didn't like that because we like having similarities. Like we like being individuals and we like being different, but then we want to be in groups, you know? We want to be the same. And that has been with me my whole life. I mean, the reality is that I am different. I'm different than you. I have a different calling on my life. I have a different experience. You know, there's similarities, don't get me wrong, between our experiences. But I'm different than you. I've had a different upbringing, and I have different relationships and and different skills. And we add all the things together that make us people who we are, like we're different. But then we're the same, you know, we're all humans, hopefully, right? We're humans. We're made in God's image. And if you believe in God, that's, the, that's what the scriptures tell us. We are made in his image. All of us, we're, we're like him in these fundamental ways. And we are different, and yet we're the same. I'm different than you, you're different than me, but there's similarities. We are the same. You know, there's a church in a city called Corinth 2,000 years ago, and they were different. They're different in good and bad ways. 
some of the good ways, they're super skilled. Like they had um, amazingly spiritual people. They were very gifted spiritually. They had not only that, but very gifted in all sorts of different ways. And yet, at the same time, they had things about that church that were different in a negative way. They were differences that there was chaos going on in that church at times. Men would be going to temples and visiting temple prostitutes. And it's like, dude, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You're a Christian, right? That's not good. That's not right. That's not what God wants. But hey, everyone else is doing it. Or they go and worship another God and just, you know, make a sacrifice to that God. It's not that big of a deal. You know, God understands. He knows my heart. And that's true. But then their behavior at times and their words, they weren't matching. And it made them different at times from other churches, from other groups of Christians. And there's a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He had started this church in Corinth. And he wanted to address some of these differences. And he wanted to say, yes, you're different in all these ways, but here's the ways in which your differences are not honoring to God. Here's some ways that your differences are, and it's good. But I want you to understand that, yes, we're different, but there's a standard that makes us the same. We are the same. And this church was very, very skilled, but they had some very corrupt patterns of thinking that affected the way that they lived life, particularly the way that they interacted with each other within this church, this group of people there. They were uninformed about some really crucial things, and Paul knew that. And so he writes them a letter about many things, but one area in particular is when they got together and worshiped, there's something that he needed to address. They were acting in ways that displayed their ignorance, their lack of understanding of the true spiritual reality and what that meant. In verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes them, he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There is an ignorance that they had that Paul wanted to correct. And this ignorance, this pattern of thinking came from their backgrounds, their past. In verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, everyone at that time, except for Christians and Jews, they worshiped many gods, multiple gods. They would go to those gods to get whatever it is that they wanted. If they wanted to be able to have a baby, they would go to the god of fertility. If they wanted to have money, they would go to the god of money. And they would go and they would sacrifice and give something to that god in order to get what they wanted from that god. And those pagan ways, pagan meaning not Christian, essentially, not according to the true God who revealed himself, those ways and patterns of thinking were deeply embedded in their hearts. And what happened is when they came to know Christ, when they started to have a relationship with Jesus, when they came to know the true God, the God who created everything, the only God, what happened is they 
didn't come alone, but they brought some baggage with them. And they brought their previous ways of thinking and worshiping and doing life. See, when we automatically, when we come to God, we don't automatically shed everything from our past. It still very much affects us. And it affected the Corinthians, and Paul addressed it. And if Paul was writing a letter to us today, he would say the same kind of thing. He might say something like, you know, in your past life, before you really knew what it was like to be a Christian, the way you grew up, your northern culture or your southern culture, your Midwestern culture, your West Coast culture, your poor culture or rich culture, whatever it is that you brought in from either your ethnicity, your religious upbringing, the way that you experienced life as a child, what your parents were like, what your mom did and your dad did, how they spoke to you, whether you had a mom or dad, whatever it was, whether they were involved in your life, however you came, he understood that we all bring to our relationship with God, we do not come as a blank slate. We come as people who have been formed by our past experiences and the beliefs that are deeply embedded within us. Now, in each one of those areas, there are things that honor God. There are things that are reflections of God because we are created in his image. And yet at the same time, there are things that do not honor him. There are patterns of thinking deeply embedded. And those patterns of thinking are so important because they change the way we feel. They affect the way we feel. They affect our motivations. And they affect our behaviors. Paul knows that a person will live out of their heart. We can't help but act, feel, speak, think out of what's going on inside. Deeply embedded patterns. Some of them okay, some of them maybe neutral, some of them very wrong. And so Paul sees that there's something very wrong, that the Corinthians are thinking, and they're bringing it in from their past experiences. And they're uninformed as a result. They have a striking ignorance when it comes to spiritual realities. And so Paul wants to address that. As a matter of fact, he even emphasizes this in verse 3 when he says, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This was a fundamental act of discernment on what someone was saying, what was it from? If someone gave a genuine, true, good confession from their heart that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he is the ruler of their life, that he died for them, taking their sin on the cross and raised to life again, God raised him from the dead. And it changed everything. If someone came to faith, which is a trusting relationship in God, there'd be a genuine confession. That cannot happen in any other way except that God's Holy Spirit has affected, influenced, and now inhabited that person at their deepest level. And somehow the Corinthians were struggling this. There, there was this ignorance that they had. And you know, Paul begins to connect it this individual ignorance that each of them had, the, the, the lack of information, the lack of understanding and knowledge. And he begins 
to connect it to how they treat each other, how they talk to and about each other. He essentially connects it to them from individuals to them as a group. And when you take a group of Christians together, you have a church. And you know, church is one of those things that can be easily misunderstood. We have a lot of ideas. I venture to say that we have maybe hundreds of ideas of what a church is, even within this room. Dozens at least. You know, maybe you think from your experience that church is a social group. It is a group where people come to hang out, get to know each other, live life together, kind of talk, have fun, really engage with each other, enjoy life together. And absolutely, church is a place where you come and you get to know people. And yet there's something missing in that. Because I can go down to, a, to another place, another gathering. I can look up on the internet and find places where uh, people with similar hobbies to mine they go and gather, and I can go and have friends and make friends and, and get to know people and kind of live life together, and yet what distinguishes that group from the church? Are they the same? Maybe to you, church is a place where people come together to do community service, to serve uh, in you know, some capacity in the church or to do community service, and, and yes, of course, we should serve our community. We should serve one another. We should hopefully have an active part. But is that what church is? Just a place and come and serve. Well, yes, it, it's good, but there's something missing there because I can go to any of the hundreds, even thousands of organizations within our area, and I can go serve the poor. I can go serve those who are in need. And I should do that. That would be a great thing to do. But yet, is that the church? Is it just a place of individuals that serve? Well, I, I don't think so. I don't think that, that's what Paul would say. There's something different. Maybe church to you is a place where you go and you have a very intense religious experience. You have an emotional experience, one that changes you on the inside, a mystical, maybe even a transcendent experience. And you know what? That's awesome. I've had very deep, life-changing experiences in church services in my life. They've shaped me in unbelievable ways. I can remember them. We could sit down afterwards, and I could tell you the stories about times when I was at camp and times when I was in different services that I remember growing up and been in church all my life. And yet, we could go to the club, we could take drugs, and we could have an intense, emotional, transcendent, spiritual even experience. Is that what the church is? Maybe the church is just a box on a checklist. It's what you do on Sunday mornings. You get up, you go to church. You get in a fight with your wife on the way there. And then you ask forgiveness on the way home because the kids are driving you crazy. Been there. Is that what church is? Just an activity. 
Maybe it's just a family tradition. It's what your parents did. They took you to mass. They took you to church every week, sometimes multiple times a week. And it's just a tradition. But we have a ton of traditions. My mom bakes a certain kind of cookie every Christmas. Is that the church? No, there's something fundamentally different about what the church is. And when we understand what the church is, we, we, we have this tool within us to actually be able to filter the experiences of this world in a profound way. And there are enormous consequences for us once we understand the true, most fundamental nature of what we call the church in English. And this is what Paul begins to address with the Corinthians. And he uses a profound word that's simple, yet when you start to think about what it actually means, it's mind-blowing. In verse 27 of this same chapter, here's what it says. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you, is a part of it. The body of Christ. Notice he doesn't say you're like the body of Christ. Or he doesn't say metaphorically speaking, you could compare what you guys do to the body of Christ. No. He says you are the body of Christ, representing some kind of deep, fundamental reality about what it means to be a Christian to be a believer, to have faith in Christ, to know him. And what an amazing, what an amazing tool to use to understand what it means to even be a Christian and what it means to even gather together like we do. I mean, think about it. What is our body? Well, I think that our body is the physical structure that our soul uses to make a difference in this world. It's the physical representation of ourselves, our soul, our spirit. The part of us that isn't physical, the part of us that is immaterial, it's, it's, it's eternal. See, we are not Bodies with a soul, we're souls with a body. We are embodied people and our souls, what do they do? That's the very life-giving energy that gives our physical bodies any life at all. And so when Paul says that we are the body of Christ, what that means is that collectively, those who know and have made a genuine confession that they know and love Jesus Christ, they acknowledge him as Lord, that we, in that moment, we become a part of the physical structure on this earth, the representation of the eternal God. And we know that because just like our spirits inhabit our body and control our body, the Holy Spirit of God inhabits his people and controls them, places them strategically where he wants them in order to do what? Well, to do what bodies do, to live and interact with and change the environment that that body is in. 
to survive it, to heal itself, to figure out how to do something with a purpose and a mission within whatever environment that body finds itself. We are built to be able to interact with the atmosphere around us. Wherever we go, at school and at work, God's given us this amazing body. And in that same way, God has ordained and established and created the church to go into all over the world to change it, to make a difference. And as soon as we have a genuine, real, from the heart confession and acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. In that moment, something fundamentally changes. We receive the Holy Spirit who did that in us anyway. And now we become inextricably, intimately, completely connected to the body of Christ. And we don't have a choice. Paul makes this point. He talks about it in verses 15 through 16. He says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. My hand is a part of my body, and it is intimately and inextricably connected. And as a matter of fact, the only way that I can make this hand not a part of my body is if someone were to forcibly remove it. And I really hope that never happens. It would hurt. And as a matter of fact, my hand, its entire purpose is connected to the body, controlled by my spirit. Its entire purpose, the reason my hand is there is because it is designed with a, with a strict functionality and limits having certain gifts. My knee can't do what my hand does, right? That would be weird. It would be really awkward to try to do that when you try driving with your knee. It's not, it's dangerous. But the hand, right, that hand is there. And when I disconnect my hand from my body, it loses its purpose. It loses its reason for even existing because my hand attached to me is there to help Josh Bertram navigate and change the world around Josh Bertram. And we are a part of the body of Christ in the same way my hand is a part of my body. We can't say we're not a part of the body of Christ. We don't get the choice. My hand can't say, I'm tired of you, dude. I'm out. Because as soon as that hand's gone, it will decay. It will no longer have its purpose. And it'll be nothing more than a piece of flesh. Unable to move, unable to serve, unable to do its function. We're inextricably tied to the body controlled and given life through the Spirit. And so that means as we look around, everyone in this room who has a genuine confession of faith, they are not just our brothers and sisters, although that they are our brothers and sisters. We are part of the same family. But we're not just part of the same family. It goes deeper than that. We are part of the same body. We are part of the same functional unit, a whole driven by God, inspired by God, motivated and moved by God to do God's purposes within the world. Our very existence, 
Our purpose, our giftings, and our function are all given and controlled and manifested because of what the Holy Spirit has done and who God is. And he gets to to decide what he wants to do with his body. It's his body. His purpose will always reign. And the ridiculousness of the hand saying, I am not a part of body, we should feel the same thing when we or other brothers and sisters like us say, I am not a part of the body or they act like I am not a part of the body. We're all connected. If we know Christ, We are connected to each other as my hand is to this body, affecting every other part of it. And we are connected to the Holy Spirit, God himself, the one who created this world. And we can't change that unless we are forcibly ourselves, remove ourselves forcibly from this body. We're a part of the body. And every one of us has a purpose and function. That's what Paul says in verse 7. He says, each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Each one of us is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What does that mean? Each of us in some way reveal a piece of who God is. And why do we do it? We do it for the good of ourselves and the body, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how God has designed our, his body that we become a part of. So what that means is each one of you have a unique set of gifts, experiences, people, places that you have influence and influence that nobody else has that God wants to use. I can't come into your house and I can't come to your son or daughter and command or talk to them, have the influence that you as a father can. I can't do it. And if you're out of the picture and you don't care, then there is no true replacement for what you could be. I'm not saying God isn't gracious. He is, and he brings other people. But guess what? It is so much more difficult and the process is so much longer when it could have been the parent who's there for that kid or the friend who's there for the other person that they have such a good relationship with them. They know them so well, all the fears and everything that's happening in their life. You have that friend that you alone have the kind of influence that you do over them. You alone have the kind of giftings that God wants to use. And when we act, we do not act in a vacuum. We act in a intimately and tightly connected web. Well, what we do affects the other person. We could give to the church and they could buy Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the book. You can go pick one up or we went through it last fall. It's amazing. And then because of that gift, what you did, that person has that book. They read that book. They come to the Sabbath in that book. They realize they don't have any margin in their life. They're burning themselves out. And then beyond that, they decide, I need to do something different. And they start to take small steps. They become different. The Sabbath starts to mean something to them. They're resting. They're getting what they need. They 
treat their kids better. They treat their spouse better. And in the end, what could have resulted in a destroyed and damaged relationship from father to son and daughter and to spouse through this whole thing, now they are saved in a good, healthy place because you gave and they got a book. And that's just one example of the thousands and millions of ways that we interact. This is not about just volunteering in one of the ministries, although we would love for you to do that. But it's so much beyond that. The people that you can reach, I can't reach. I can't get them. I can't have that influence. And God has put you in here, in Grace Crossing, dare I say, here, strategically, for his purpose. And when we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the entire idea that we are the body of Christ on this earth. There is no other body of Christ. He has one body spread around the entire world. It's the only body. He doesn't have a backup body waiting. It's us. So, what that means is that we are so connected to each other through the Holy Spirit. What that means is that the Holy Spirit knows what I need, knows what you need, and that he will connect us together when we need it. What that means is that he's strategic, and he knows that you have a gift I don't have, and you can bring people in here that I can't, and then they can come to know Christ, and then they have people they know that you don't know, and then they can come to know Christ. And then God can begin to spread his kingdom one part at a time. Because every part's different. I'm different. You're different. But we're all part of one and the same body. A body with a unified purpose that the Holy Spirit, the soul of that body is driving forward. And it is a body that has been moving and changing this world for thousands of years. And it will continue to do so until Christ returns. Now, we're all a part of this body. If we know Christ and we confess Christ, we're a part of this body. That's what this entire series is about. We want to walk us through what does it mean to be the body of Christ? And then what does the body of Christ do? And I'm excited. I think it's going to be awesome. But, you know, if I were realistic, if I were really honest, you know, it is silly, the idea that the hand would be like, you know what, I'm tired of you. I'm going this way. And then the toe's going this way because the toe's offended at what the pinky did. And everything's weird. And that, you know, right? It's a ridiculous view. I hope this is really weird for you because that's the point. But we're not just hands and feet. We're people, and we have choices. We make choices. So I want to offer you a reason why I think you should submit and lay everything down, all your gifts, your resources, your time, lay it down to the Holy Spirit. Open hands, God, use it however you want. It's not easy to do, but I have two, two reasons. 
those two reasons are your relationship with God and your relationship with his body. Relationships, I should say. Why are those the two reasons? Well, I want you to look around at everything just briefly. And, uh, you know, you'll notice chairs in front of you. You'll notice, you know, lights and all this stuff around you. Everything around us is physical. You know, not one thing that we're laying eyes on in this moment is going to last forever. My beloved phone will die. The axle on my van broke while driving it last week. These shoes are going to wear out. These pants are going to fade to nothing, hopefully not on stage, right? All this stuff is going to fade away. And even beyond that, look at your bodies. You younger friends out there, be grateful. As you begin to grow older, things don't work like they did. Things hurt more and longer, right? I'm seeing a lot of shakes, head shakes, nodding out there. Yes, things are just not the same because even these bodies, they are going to deteriorate. We don't really have a choice. It's going to happen. Everything around us is going to fade away. And if it doesn't fade away by the time Jesus returns, which the Bible promises he will return in glory, not in humility. He did that already, and and it really served us well. Now he's going to return in glory with the armies of heaven behind him. And when that happens, everything that's been corrupted by sin, which is everything that you're looking at in this world, has to go through a purification process that will burn it away. However God does that, it's all gone. And something new is replaced. Everything we look at will fade away or will be taken away by God at some point in his sovereignty and providence. And so there are two things that will remain. Two things that we'll be able to take. Our relationship with God and our relationship with his body. Our relationship with the people who know Christ and have confessed Christ. A couple of things should happen. First, I hope that we can have that sense of hope and know that these things have to be priorities in our lives. The body of Christ and our relationship with God has to be the utmost priority. It is the only thing that will last beyond everything else. The second thing is that those that we know who are not part of the body, I hope this inspires us and lights a passion within us to pray for them, to look for opportunities to talk to them, to try to find a way for God to work on their heart and in tears ask God to do it so that they will become an eternal relationship that we will have. Instead of one that will be cut short by death. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Big Fish. Weird, different, I know. 
in this movie, there is this final scene that really just, it just makes me cry each time. And the story is that this son is with his dad, and his dad is like, um, he's a storyteller. He's always making up, like, seems like he's making up these huge stories. And his son just doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And over time, he realizes his dad, what he's saying, it just isn't true, and, and I'm just going to reject that. And so his son becomes upset. And then they have this kind of falling out in their relationship. And at the end of his dad's life, he finds out that his dad is, who's the older gentleman there, he is dying. So his son comes to visit him, and he's with him in the hospital, sitting with him and talking with him. And throughout these stories, his son begins to connect with his dad's stories through this movie. And his son begins to kind of have this moment of reconciliation with his dad. And what makes the moment so touching is that his dad kind of asks him, like he goes to all these stories, and his dad asks him to tell the final story. And so his son, like, gets in touch with a part of him that he hadn't known for years. And he starts talking to his dad and starts telling the story, the story of his dad's death. And in this, as he's retelling it, in his imagination, and they do it amazingly within the movie, he, he grabs his dad in both hands, and then he begins to walk him. And he takes him out of the hospital, and he puts him in a car, and they drive away, and they go, and they go to this place. His dad always loved the river. And so they go to this place, and they're walking down, and as they're walking down towards this river, you start to see the people that his dad affected in his life. You start to see the people from business 30 years ago and, and the friends that he had 15 years ago or even longer, and you start to see you know, his family who's all waiting there by his side. And they're waiting there at the river, and he comes down the river, and the last person at the river to meet him is his wife, who, who he loved to the end. And the reason I think that movie touches me so much is because I just use my imagination and I think about my life. And you know, I hope that at the end of my life, my relationship with my son is such that he will take me, right? And he'll tell my last story. And he'll pick me up, right? And he'll walk me and me and old Malachi will go, right? And as we go, we're going to see people meet him along the way. We're going we're gonna to meet Tim, the pastor who first saw something in me and, and, and told me, there's a leader in you. God wants to do something with you. And as we walk past Pastor Tim, we're going to come up to Steve McLaughlin, who, who when I was a rebel as a teenager, he did not reject me, but he pursued me. And as we go through, we're going to see Dr. Hall who would sit with me in college and, and counsel me on issues that I had from my past that were all these, that were, that were still hurting me, even to that day. And as we continue to walk, I, I hope that I could see Pastor Gill, who's mentored me, poured into me, Pastor Life, who's done the same. I hope as I walk that I can see my dad and my mom who sacrificed so much for me. I hope that as I go, I'll see my brother Kevin and my brother Joel, who I hope becomes a part of this body. And maybe I'll see my friend Danny, 
Who doesn't know Christ yet? And as we keep going, I hope I see Noel. And I hope I see the rest of my family. And then when we get to the end, I hope that I see Ashley. Because we made it to the end. And we've invested in each other. And we've invested in our relationship with the body who has helped us in unbelievable ways and with our God. And at the very end, I hope that I see Jesus, the good shepherd. And Jesus is there, arms open, waiting to receive me. And then Malachi passes me to him, and he takes me to the good place. Because in the end, there are two things that we will have. We won't have fast cars. We will not have fancy houses. We will not have all the awards and fame that we so desperately try to achieve. We will not have the technology. We will not have the money. We will not have the nice clothes, all the things, the retirement. We won't have any of that stuff. The only thing that we will have, and we will have our relationship with the body of Christ that will last into eternity, and we will have our relationship with God. That is it. And so those two things, that's what this series is about. That we would prioritize God and that we would put his body first. That's what we'll have left. And it's what will pay off. I know I'm different. I know you're different. We come from different places, but we have the same Lord, the same shepherd, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit. We're different, but we're the same. Father, thank you for your love and your grace, and thank you for inspiring us and giving us more than we deserve or could ever earn. And I just ask, God, that you would help this message and all of our hearts to sink, that we are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Help us to be inspired to care for those within the body of Christ and to pray and have mission for those outside. That, that we would have opportunities to influence them in ways that nobody else can. God, help us become aware of that, what those are. And, yeah, just... Uh, Help us grow close to you and think about that time and who we want to be there and in those moments, last moments we have. And we ask it all in Christ's name, amen. Guys, have a great Memorial Day weekend. God bless you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web www.gracecrossingchurch.net We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.